Well, if you've never studied the journey of Lewis and Clark, you really should. Past couple of weeks, I've been reading a few books and things online about this incredible journey that these incredible explorers took hundred and whatever years ago. I'm not very good at math. Uh, to discover a passage through the northwest of the United States uh, that would ultimately give the Americans a complete identity and one that would give them a trade route that they desperately needed. The year was 1804, and Thomas Jefferson had commissioned these great military men and, and these good leaders that they needed to go and map the northwest. And there was a concern there. The concern was, was that if, if the Americans didn't capture the Northwest, or if they didn't chart it out and map it, that other groups would come in and take over and influence in ways that Thomas Jefferson, the president, didn't want or desire. And so the task seemed simple enough. And on August 31st, 1804, these men had planned to set sail. It should have been just a simple journey. Get to the Northwest, map it out, find a route through to the Pacific Ocean, and then come back and report all of the details. But that day that, that Lewis and Clark went to set sail was anything but an easy journey. In fact, on that day, the experts and the, the, the masters of, of uh, journeying and exploring looked at the journey they were about to undertake, and they just said, you guys are crazy. You have no business going on a journey like this. That if you're going to... Uh, you're going to try something like this. You need better tools and better resources. You need better people around you. On that day, even the weather spoke against the journey ahead of them. The river that they were about to push off into that should have been two and a half feet deep for their boats to sail through was only six inches. And so when they pushed their boat off, they literally pushed their, their boat and their tools and their supplies into thick mud. For the first part of their journey, they, they had ropes and they pulled their their ship or their boat upstream, and they struggled. But as they struggled, uh, and, and as they fought the elements and the bugs, which apparently were insane, more and more the journey had times of breakthrough and brilliance. When they got into the beginnings of, of, North, Central, uh, of North Central America, or into the northwestern parts of America, when they got into like places like Montana, they started to discover things that white eyes had never seen before. They discovered the pronghorn deer, they discovered the mule deer, and then they got into the Rocky Mountains, and there was this big brown beast with big teeth and big claws that we know today as the, Rocky, as, as the grizzly bear. There was blessings that came on the journey, and blessings that as they ventured into lands that many people had never been into before, they were able to report back and say, this land is marvelous, it's wild, and it's special. And the thought was that, 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 that they genuinely believed that they would come to a spot, they would sort of crest the hill, and on the other side of that hill, there would be just a gentle rolling slope, and they'd be able to go down that slope, probably fjord a river, and then get to the other side, and maybe half a day's walk, and they would get to the Pacific Ocean. They believed that if they would just make it through the struggle and the strife, and they could get to a certain spot, that life would be easy after that. And so the day came when they came to, into southwestern uh, Montana, southeastern Idaho, where they ascended what we know today as Lemhi Pass. And when they got to the top of that hill, what they expected to find on the other side was anything but. There was no gentle slope. There was a river, the Columbia River. 
But instead of the Pacific Ocean and palm trees and hula dancers or whatever they were imagining was going to be there that day, instead in front of them was mountain range after mountain range after mountain range after mountain range. Mountains for as far as the eye could see. And they stopped. And together they looked at each other and with discouraged hearts, with a heaviness in their souls, they were let down. That break free that they had anticipated wasn't there at all. And what they discovered was that the journey in front of them was going to be longer and more challenging than even they had anticipated. And while they knew in their hearts they were aimed in the right direction, they knew that if they were going to continue forward, it would forever transform them. And while they had not arrived at their destination of the Pacific Ocean, they knew that their journey really has just begun. They were on a great adventure for an intentional time in an intentional place with intentional people for an intentional purpose. And they were going to journey into soon what would become uncharted territory. But as they did, that uncharted territory soon would become familiar. And soon others could find their own success as they journeyed through that place and as they spent time and as they journeyed together. And they made an unfamiliar land familiar to people that might not have ever known what, what laid in those lands. The adventures and the, the beauty and the majesty of it all. They found this because they made a determined effort that the journey was worth it and they were going to do it together. This morning we're continuing on in our series called Next. And in a series we're talking about the next steps that we can take in the Christian life and the next steps that we should take as believers in Jesus. And this morning in this series we want to talk about the work of discipleship or I will argue the work of disciple making as believers that we are called to. And so if you have your Bibles, I would encourage you to open them to Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 to 22. We're going to go through this in a moment. Our worship team shared it with us, but I want to share it again for us in just a moment here. Um, but for just a moment, I want you to lean in with me on something that I think is important. And if you remember nothing else from this morning, I really want you to hear what I'm about to say. Because I think this is the heart of what Jesus is leading us to this week. It's that all of us are called to be disciple makers. When Jesus uh, said in Matthew chapter 28, 19, what he says there is something that needs to grip our hearts. He says, therefore, go into the world and make disciples. Baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. I would argue that in the Western church, we do a great job at the second part of that call to go of the Great Commission, to go and make, uh, to go and baptize people. But the first part of that call we've missed and this morning, I, wanna, I want us to lean in and understand that all of us are called to make disciples or to be disciple makers. And that as we do, there are certain things found in this passage. There are tones and things said in this passage that we can learn from and that can equip us to be uh, better disciple makers and, and that will help us to journey with people towards Jesus in ways that maybe we aren't doing now and that we need to hold on to and, and, and practice. So if you have your Bibles, uh, I'd encourage you to open them with me. Matthew chapter uh, 4, verses 18 to 22. I'm going to read this for us, and then we'll get in and talk a little bit more about what it means to be a disciple maker. Starting in verse 18, let's receive the word of God together. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out for to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. 
Jesus called them, and immediately they left their boat and their father, and they followed him. To start our time together this morning, friends, I want to argue that there is a, a distinction between what we traditionally have called discipleship in the church and what I want to argue for, disciple-making uh, in the world that we live in today. Discipleship is a good word, and it's a word we should continue to use, but I want us to create a tension this morning that there's something more that needs to happen in the discipleship processes that we've been working with and that we hold on to. Traditionally, uh, from my understanding or perspective anyways, discipleship has been uh, the, the opportunity we have to identify a need in our life or someone else's life to grow in Jesus' name. And so maybe there was a, a time in our life where we needed to learn how to serve or, or we wanted to know more about how to pray. Maybe we wanted to learn how to read our Bibles, whatever the case might be. In traditional circles, we have, we have heard this in people's lives. We've, we've identified this in our own lives. And we've, the, the, the remedy or the, the way that we've worked with that is we say, well, to learn how to do this, all you need to do is to read a book. All you need to do is to take a course. All you need to do is, is to go to a conference or a seminar. And so uh, when we are journeying with other people, we might hear this in their life or we might understand that they need this in their life. And so we say to them, look, if you want to experience true life transformation, why don't you read this book? And then when you're done and you get to the other side, maybe we could connect again or maybe somebody else will connect with you and you can continue on forward in the story. So it, 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 I, I, I kind of summarize it with this kind of thinking that that it's sort of like dropping somebody off at the airport that when you drop somebody off at the airport and and they're going somewhere you you drive them up to the airport doors or maybe you drop them off at the front door maybe you go in with them to the gate but you spend you you you, you take them there you drop them off and then they go on a journey by themselves and they get to the other side and whatever happens is Maybe you eventually meet up with them later or somebody else meets with them and they go on their way. I would argue that that is traditional discipleship. Whereas disciple making has more of a relational context to it. We probably use some of the same resources that we use in discipleship, but we don't let people journey through that all by themselves. In disciple making, there's a willingness to engage with people and to journey with people very practically moving forward. We experience the highs and the lows, the ebbs and the flows of, of life together as we discover and discern what the Christian life is like and as we live it together. It's sort of more like a road trip. And, and some of us have been on great road trips here. You get this idea in your mind or, or you want to go on an adventure. You know you need to get somewhere. And so you and a friend or you and a family member, you and your siblings or whatever the case might be, a coworker jump in a vehicle, and you start to go on this great adventure and this great journey together. You spend time together, and, and you go uh, on the ebbs and the flows. You, get, you come to the corner, and you come out of the corner. You get sick together. You experience the joys of seeing new things together. You experience the lows of running out of gas together. You experience all of the great things that come on road trips that we've experienced in life. But there's a difference, isn't there? One is you drop people off, and you, you expect them to get to their destination on their own. The other is that you spend time with people and you journey with them. And I want to argue that in the Christian church today, that in the Western church, that even in our church, there is great joy and there's, great, um, there's a great distinction between discipleship and disciple making. And if we can live in the circles and in the spaces with, 
with each other. If we can journey forward towards Jesus together, I believe that there's a blessing that comes. But not only that, I believe that we live into the heart of what Jesus is calling us to in Matthew chapter 28, verse 19, but also what he's modeling for us here in Matthew chapter 4. And so as I say that, uh, I want to talk about three overtones. Three things that I think we see in this passage that lead us to understand more, as Jesus modeled what disciple making is, it leads us to understand more of what he's calling us to. And so three things, and if you're taking notes, you might want to write these down. Uh, If you want to talk about this after, I'd be happy to do so. But three overtones of what a disciple maker looks like, which, by the way, surprise, surprise, we all are. The first overtone is this. The first overtone we see here is that in the disciple-making process, it's a very relational process. As Jesus is walking beside the sea in verse 18, he sees these two brothers and he calls out to them. And he invites them. He says, come follow me in verse 19 and I will send you out to fish for people. Uh, Commentary writers say that when Jesus called out to these disciples, it was extremely likely that he already had a relational connectedness to Uh, to these men. He knew them. Scholars say that these men were disciples of, uh, they were disciples of John the Baptist. And if that's the case, that it was likely that Jesus and these men had rubbed shoulders at some point. Maybe they shared a meal together. Maybe there was some ministry aspect that they'd shared together. But somehow there was a connectedness to their story. and, And Jesus knew them. So there was a credibility because of the relationship that they shared, that when Jesus called them, they were willing to give up whatever they had and follow him. And the same thing's true in our lives. That it's often the case that when when Jesus presents to us a disciple-making opportunity, that somehow there's a relational connectedness between ourselves and the other person that gives us credibility and that gives us even permission to move forward. So it could be something as simple as That person is our neighbor. It could be something as complex as a traumatic event that we've been through. And we might not know the person well, but there's a shared commonality in our story that allows us to journey forward. It could be that we just even live in the same city or the same part of the world. It could be that our hearts are for Jesus. I don't know. There's something there that we will discern and discover that when we desire to journey closer towards Jesus, that will bring our hearts together and focus the work that needs to be done. And this was the case with Jesus. He had a relational connection before, and then he, he says to them, he, he, you know, he throws out sort of a, excuse the, the pun here, he throws out a lure to them, and he says, I'm gonna, I want to take you fishing. We're going to find a way together. We're going to find a way to move forward, but it's going to be together. And so the value of, of relationship is critical in disciple-making and discipleship, but in disciple-making, Because there's a connectedness in our story and there's a willingness to stay connected and to keep things moving forward. The second overtone that we see here is that there's this overtone of multiplication. In verse 19, Jesus says, come follow me and I will send you out to fish for people. He plants vision in their mind that there is more to come. That if these men are going to grow, if, if these men are going to grow, and they're going to learn, and they're going to acquire some skills and some knowledge and some wisdom, but after they acquire that knowledge and those skills and that wisdom, they're going to have to do something with it. And they're going to go, and they're going to transform the world around them as they pay it forward. This is a massive tension in disciple-making. It's that 
we get together in the circles that we do, and, and, but we get together for a set time, a set purpose, and a set reason. And then we pick up those tools or those resources or that wisdom or whatever it is that God has given to us through that time that we spent with others, and we pay it forward or we pass it forward. One of the great examples I've seen of this in my life in recent days uh, comes from our district office up in Calgary. Tim Beadle is one of our district coaches. In fact, he's our district coach as a church. And just over a year ago, he got together with some men and he said, I want to invite you to come on an, adv- on an adventure with me. Come and spend time with me. And so for the last year, they've been reading books together. They've been studying scripture together. They've been praying together. They have been uh, bearing their souls with each other, sharing with each other the highs and the lows, the ebbs and the flows of, of, of life. But here's the provision. When Tim invited those three men to come on a great, great adventure with him, he said to them at the very beginning, I want you to come on a great adventure with me for the next year. And then when the year's done, I want you, or we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna break up our group and we can still get together. We can get together for meals or coffee or whatever the case might be. Uh, go to a hockey game or a football game. We can still get together. But this focus time that we've been sharing together, after one year, we're going to break apart. And I want you to go find three more men to journey with in a similar way. And this is critical in disciple making. It's too often the case in our Western churches that when we get together in circles and we spend time with people, that we hold on to those circles tightly. And there's good reason to do that. I like you guys. I don't want to break up from these guys. I don't want to separate. I don't want to lose what we have. But the problem with that is that we become too comfortable. We create social club settings rather than uh, experiences and opportunities to be growing in Jesus. And we start to lose sight of the focus that we originally had when we entered into the disciple-making process. And so the multiplicative work is critical to disciple-making. And this is what Jesus is saying here. Come, follow me, and I will send you out. To fish for people. There's that critical aspect that we will journey with people and then we'll release them to go and continue that work moving forward. On a quick side note, if you start doing the math of the effect that this has, it's amazing the people that get reached in a short period of time. It takes a few years to get the momentum going, but once the momentum is going, it's unbelievable the transformation that takes place in people's lives as we journey together. And as we journey together for a set time, for a set purpose, for a set reason, and a set place, and then we release people and they go out into the world and they do the same things as it starts to replicate over and over and over again, it starts to have a massive wave effect upon the different circles that we live in. And you start to think about what could take place if, if we as a church embraced this and took it seriously. Probably, uh, you know, on, a, on an average Sunday, we have 400, 403 people, whatever the number is right now, that attend here on a Sunday morning. Imagine if for six months we um, found one other person, or, or let, me, let me change that. Imagine if for six months we found a partner here in the church and we journeyed together. And then at the end of that time, we finished our time and, and we released each other and we went and found one person from the community that we could journey with intentionally and spend time with in, these, in, this, kind of a, in this kind of a model, in this disciple-making method. Instantly our church doubles. And then after six months, you do it again, and you can start to see how the numbers increase and how it starts to extrapolate, and all of a sudden this massive wake comes out over Lethbridge and southern Alberta as people are journeying together intentionally towards Jesus, and as they are looking at their lives and dealing with things and working at things and and learning things and growing in things, and 
and, and spending time together in Jesus' name. All of a sudden, the realities of things like revival and the realities of, of transforming this land in Jesus' name become a reality that we practically see in front of us because they're ours to hold as we journey with others together. The tension here is to multiply. And hear me when I say, I love the circles that we travel in. I love the circles that we spend time in, but we can't camp in those circles forever. We need to release people. We need to release ourselves and bring more people in because this is the heart of what Jesus is telling us to do. The final overtone that I want to touch on here this morning is, has to do with the kind of people that get involved in this closa. And you know, I've heard messages like this before, and I think, I've thought to myself, well, that's all good and fine, but um, if you're asking me to be a part of that process, then I guess you really don't know who I am. The truth is, friends, is that none of us are excused in the work of disciple making. If the tension that we hold in our hearts is that when Jesus calls us in Matthew 28, 19, to all go in the world and all make disciples and then all baptize them, then we need to, and we hold on tightly to that, to that all tension with the baptism part, then equally we need to hold on to the tension of the all disciple making part as well. And when we look at, at who Jesus calls here, it's often the humble and the meek that he picks first to do his work through, rather than some person who's arrived or has it all figured out. These are not CEOs, white collar, arrived, figured it out, found it out kind of people that are sitting in ivory towers. These are humble, simple men who Jesus used to accomplish great things. They're fishermen. Their job was simply to get up super early in the morning, to set sail, to go out, to throw their nets over the side, to wait for a long time, and then to pull up their nets and pull in the fish and go sell them at the market. A little more complex reality to their life. They had to fix the nets and they had to fix their boats. But their lives weren't that complicated. Actually, they were incredibly simple. And it's often the case, friends, that when we look at the work of disciple making, that some of our best disciple makers in the church are some of the people that the world might be the world might consider to be just just humble and meek, just not qualified for whatever reason. People like you and people like me who have gone through stuff in life. It's often the case that people that have a brokenness in their, in their spirit for whatever reason, they've gone through some relational struggles or health struggles or occupational struggles or whatever the case might be. There's, there's something that's being handed to them in life. It's often the case that these are often the very best people to come alongside of another person in life and journey towards Jesus. And so you look at your story and you say, well, it's pretty messed up. You look at your story and you say, well, it's pretty broken. You look at your story and you say, it's been really hard. And I say to you and I say to myself, and believe me, I'm looking in the mirror right now. This is oftentimes that we are the best kind of people for the work that Jesus wants to do. Some of the stuff that I get to do as a pastor, one of the things is, I'm a part of a committee at our district office that talks about disciple-making. And on that committee, one of the things we talk about is that it's oftentimes uh, we broken kind of people that are our best disciple-makers. We've also said that it's oftentimes some of the people that we might otherwise consider disqualifying that are some of our really sound and, and best disciple-makers. People that are, are new Christians. 
have a way to connect with others in the community that sometimes you or I might not be able to do. People who are new Christians, who have a passion, who found Jesus, who've experienced the transforming hands and work of Jesus in their lives, oftentimes are people who can come alongside another life and say, listen, I was there, and it was only two weeks ago. I was there, and here's how I stepped forward. I started to pray. I started to read my Bible. I started to come to church, and when I did, man, God touched me, and I gave my life to him, and it's made all the difference in the world. None of us are disqualified. We've also said in those circles, some of our best disciple makers are some of the younger people in our churches who might not otherwise, or who oftentimes, rather, don't get an opportunity to enter into these kind of circles. Our kids, our students, our young adults are some of our best disciple makers because you guys see the world in ways that we don't see it. Because you guys engage with others. You have courage that your moms and dads and we as old people, and I include that now that I'm over 40, we as old people don't have anymore. You have a gumption inside your soul that is dynamic and powerful and you're willing to go to places and say things and do things that, my goodness, I wish I had the courage to do. You also have ways of communicating things that are powerful. Last Sunday, I was behind this wall right here. Our baptismal tank's behind the screen, behind the wall right there. And Colson Polsky, who's not here, and I embarrassed him in the first service, I'm going to do it again, even though he's not here. Colson Polsky was in the tank sharing his testimony. My son Jaden and I were waiting behind the wall uh, for Madison, who was going to get baptized next. And Colson was sharing his story, and Jaden came over to me, and he just had light in his eyes. He was so excited, and he said, Daddy, Colson's story is so much like mine. We were both four years old and we prayed to receive Jesus. We both grew up in, in pastor's homes. We have so many things that are similar in our story. And I reminded Colson later that day and I reminded my kids as we sat around the table that night that friends, when we speak a word forward in Jesus' name, even when we feel inadequate, even when we feel ill-equipped, even when we feel like we're too broken or too far gone or, or not equipped, when we speak a word forward in Jesus' name, the Holy Spirit anoints those words and uses those words to change the landscape in front of us. And so when Blair, who's here this morning, so I'll embarrass him, and Madison, who's here this morning, and I'll embarrass her, and Colson, who was here earlier, when they spoke a word forward last Sunday in Jesus' name, they entered into the work of discipleship because, and disciple-making because they were used and, and, and they had courage and they shared um, their story. And it opens the doors and invites other people in. We might think that we're not good enough or that we're not called, but hear me when I say none of us escape the call. There is no excuse that dismisses us from the work of discipleship and disciple-making. And we're all encouraged to be involved. When Lewis and Clark were traveling through southwestern Montana and they got to the top of Lemke Pass and they saw not the Pacific Ocean, but miles upon miles upon miles upon miles of mountains, they knew they had to change their plans. They knew that they were about to go off the map into uncharted territory and they were going to have to give up their expectations. They were going to have to change their plans. And most importantly, they were going to have to reframe their entire mission. What was laid before them was nothing like what was behind them. And it was going to be a journey of true discovery. And this is the case for disciple-making as well. The world tells us today that we have no business getting involved in other people's lives. 
The world tells us today that we need to be tolerant and we need to be understanding. And if somebody doesn't agree with us, we need to leave them alone, especially as Christians. We're getting pushed to the margins of our society and of life because the world tells us what we have to offer isn't valued or valuable to the world around us. But this could be farther from the truth. I believe that what we see here is that Jesus invites us into intentional living and he invites us to adopt a parish mindset or a pastoral mindset in the worlds around us and, and to the people around us. He asks us to take spiritual responsibility for the different circles that we travel in. And hear me when I say, friends, it's not a coincidence that we live in the spaces that we do. It's not a coincidence that you uh, work where you work. It's not a coincidence that you live where you live or you go to school where you go to school, or you dance where you dance, or you play where you play, or whatever the case might be. This is not a coincidence. God has sovereignly and providentially ordained you as a pastor or as a, as a spiritual caregiver for, for people around you, and he's inviting you to intentionally step in their lives to point them towards Jesus and then journey with them as they go there. And you know, very practically in our community, it looks like a number of different things when we take spiritual responsibility for our neighbors and our friends and our family and our colleagues and our, our teammates and our classmates and all of these things, we have opportunities to step into their lives and show them the love of Christ. A great next step for us as we talk in the series and as we talk about disciple making, a great next step to open doors to journeying with other people in Jesus is simply to serve them, to wear the towel on the sleeve. And so as you go about your day and as you rub shoulders with your neighbors or coworkers or whoever it is that you're rubbing shoulders with. Watch for those opportunities to serve. When your coworker calls in sick, send them a note and say, hey, I know, I know today's a tough day and I just want you to know that I'm praying for you. It takes the courage of you to reach out like that. And friends, hear me when I say it opens doors. When your neighbor is going through a tough season and maybe they lost, maybe they lost, uh, a loved one in their life, maybe they, they lost their dog, maybe they lost their cat, which is the case of my neighbor, and I found out I was the one that chased it over the fence. True story. <laughs> Hadn't been out of the house for 11 years, and it still hasn't come home for a week. feel really bad about it. We have these opportunities to, to reach out to them. And so maybe we take over a meal, especially if you chase their cat away that's supposed to be an indoor cat. Maybe you take them a meal. Maybe you go over and, and help them out. Maybe you attend the service. Maybe you let them know that you're praying for them. These are opportunities we have to, to rub shoulders with people that open doors, that give us opportunity to journey with them towards Jesus. That allow us to be pastoral in their lives. We're all pastors. The Bible calls us the priesthood of believers. We're all called to this. We all have responsibility in this. You know, maybe your neighbor is named Mildred. I hope nobody's named Mildred here today because I'm probably about to call you old. But maybe your name's Mildred. And Mildred lives next door and she used to have the prize garden and the, the beautiful yard and everybody oohed and awed over it. But in recent days, in recent years, the weeds have grown up and the grass is not tall. Maybe you need to go next door and start to mow the grass, start to pick the weeds, take her a cup of tea or make a cup of tea and spend time with her. This is some of the way that we begin the disciple-making process and we take spiritual responsibility. We develop a parish mentality for people around us and we start to journey with them towards Jesus. It's a spot that we earn trust and then we invite people to deeper places.
inside the church too, we have a number of different spaces and places that we can walk with people. And, and we need to be living in community together. Inside the church, we have things like our small groups, like uh, our triads, like mentorship or coaching relationships, like peer relationships where we can journey with people and spend time pursuing Jesus together. Our small group ministry is a great ministry here at the church, and it's not perfect by any means, but there's spaces and places where people can come together and, and kind of gather up in circles rather than rows like we're sitting this morning and spend time face-to-face -face with each other pursuing Jesus together. It's a spot we can do life together. It's a spot where we can experience the ebbs and the flows of, of a spiritual road trip together, and we can uh, just care for each other and nurture each other and point each other towards Jesus. It's been within this kind of a space that some of the best growth in my own personal walk with Jesus has taken place. Spots where people have come alongside and said, there's something going on in your heart, we need to talk about that. Spots in my life where uh, I've been able to celebrate with people and I've been able to weep with people. And through it all, whether we're reading the book of James or reading the book of John or, or we're doing a, a, a topical study together, we can journey forward towards Jesus together. It's a set time, a set place, a set intention, and a set purpose with set people. After a certain period of time, we, we set each other free to go and do it again with somebody else. Some of our best spaces have been in our triad groups where people have come together and they've journeyed through a book or a course or a, or a syllabus or a program or whatever the case might be, a conference, a seminar. They spent time together and at the end of it, they just said, man, that was rich. Let's stay connected, but let's go find a couple new people, a couple more people, and let's keep the process going. The reality is that in a church this size, there's going to be people here. There's going to be three kinds of people, I suppose. Um, there's going to be people who are connected. There's going to be people who want to connect and have been here for a long time and are feeling kind of on the outside and haven't, you know, found a way to come into the circle yet. There's going to be some people who are new here and say, yeah, I want that, but I just don't know where to start. What I want to say to us today is that, uh, well, there's invitations to to come into these circles and the doors are wide open. Sometimes it's okay just to say, hey, I, I just would love some help to take those first steps. So I just want to say that as a pastoral team, we would love to go for coffee with you, uh, to hear your story, to sit down with you, to spend time with you, and just to find out more about what you need and what you want, and then to connect the dots about where that could take place in our church. And it's not always perfect. We mess up sometimes. And so if that's the case and you're discouraged and 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 yet you know this is what you really need and want in your life, can I just say, can I offer an apology? And I say, can we try it again? Can we take another stab at this? And can we try to connect the dots? Friends, none of us escape the call to live in community and to pursue Jesus together. This is what I call disciple-making, what I believe that we embrace here at Edom. And there's a sweetness, there's a fruit, there's a joy that comes as we intentionally journey together with others. Not only that, I think we live into the very heart of what Jesus is calling us to in Matthew chapter 4 and Matthew chapter 28, verse 19 and 20. We live into the heart of what he desires for us as Christians to be and, and how we are to live our lives. And so maybe you're here and you're thinking, well, um, I, I want to start right away. The truth is, is that for some of our groups right now, they're starting to wind up and they'll launch again in the fall and we'll get people there. But right now, I, I just want to start. And so I've got a friend, and we like to start this process. And so let me suggest to you three quick questions that you can talk through on a regular basis that will lead you forward and that will help you to live more like Jesus and 
and enter into this disciple-making process. Three ways that you can intentionally live together, even this week, with your spouse, with your kids, with a friend. You can go for coffee. You can sit down for a meal. You can push pause on the TV for a few minutes and talk through three questions that would make a massive difference and lead you forward uh, together towards Jesus. The first one would be this. The first one would be, what is crippling your heart today and what's, or, or what's making your heart leap today? What's crippling your heart or what's making your heart leap? It's just a simple, a barometric question to, to get a, a perspective on where life is at and what, what you can be praying for. The second question is, what would you love for God to do in your life today? The good things, the tough things, it doesn't matter. What would you love for God to do in your life today? And then thirdly, what is the Holy Spirit inviting you to do? And I believe that if we can ask these questions of each other, if we can take measurements of each other's lives and pray into these things, I believe that we'll discern and we'll discover next steps that we can take and journeys that we can go on, road trips that we can can, uh, be invited into with each other that we never would have got to had we just sat by ourselves and let everybody else figure it out. I'm going to invite the worship team to come, and as they do, I just want to wrap up with one final thought. You know, it was November the 15th, 1805, that Lewis and Meriwether Clark, at the end of the Columbia River, where it meets the Pacific Ocean, ascended their final ridge, and there before them were the waves of the Pacific Ocean. It was amazing. For for months, they had endured suffering. For months, life had been hard. For months, they had discovered the, the ebbs and the flows, the great points and the low points of journeying together. They discovered things they never thought they would have imagined or ever dreamt they could see in life. And yet here they were. They had finally reached their goal. For 300 years, many had tried. But as these men worked together and as they journeyed together, they finally finished the task. Imagine the joy of that group. Imagine the joy as they realized they had accomplished something that they never would have accomplished had they attempted the journey by themselves. Visionaries had long believed that the pathway was there that would give to the United States her full and true identity. And as these explorers would discover, they would help to solidify that identity as they worked together. And friends, the same thing is true in our lives. When we as Christians live the Christian life on our own, we will have victories and we'll have struggles, but imagine the places we will go when we journey towards Jesus together. These are places that we never believed we would have ever got to. These are places that for generations, members of our families couldn't overcome. These are places that, when we, that we read about and dream about and ultimately that will give us our true identity, which is victory in Jesus. Disciple-making is about growing in Jesus, and it's the next step that all of us are invited, not just to make, but that truly is one of the highest callings of obedience in the Christian life. My dear friends, there is a journey that awaits us, that is ahead of us. And so let me invite you, and let me encourage myself, to link arms and take the amazing next step of disciple-making. The road won't always be smooth, but I promise it will always be blessed. Let's sing with our worship team now.